name is Ryan Goodnight, and this is Theology for the Rest of Us. We're starting a new series called The Two Testaments. Uh, the focus of this series is to try to illustrate well the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament and why Christians, modern-day Christians, should care about the details and the stories and the narratives and all the things back between Genesis and Malachi uh, that perhaps we're not as uh, familiar with or even comfortable with. Now, when I say those terms, uh, that, that that those words, the Old Testament— uh, sometimes people actually kind of get their eyes get big. It's almost like they're scary words to consider sometimes with certain uh, certain people that I encounter. I get a lot of mixed reactions whenever we're talking about that part of the Bible. If we think about the Old Testament, uh, it's a group of writings that were written to an ancient people that were living in a land that's very different than ours. Uh, they were living in a time that's very different than ours. We're modern-day Christians today, not ancient Israelites. We live in North America, not the ancient Near East, as we call it. So it's a fair question to ask, is the Old Testament still practical? Is it useful to us today? Is it applicable to modern-day Christians? Is it something that we should be uh, uh, including in our, our, our reoccurring modern uh, spiritual diet as we consider Bible study and other materials that we read? And if the question to all these answers is yes, uh, well, in what ways? If it is applicable to us, how? How can we get benefit from these writings that we see in the books in the Old Testament? Well, these are the questions that we're going to tackle in this series. Uh, this, as I say, stated, this series is called uh, The Two Testaments, and this particular episode is called The Two Percent. And here in a little bit, I'll explain how I came up with that name and why I called this particular episode The Two Percent. Now, I find that uh, when speaking about the Old Testament, that most people's knowledge of the Old Testament is much more limited than what it is of the New. I've even had people tell me outright that they've read very little of the Old Testament, that maybe they know the uh, the big stories. They know the stories of Noah or the stories of creation, uh, maybe the fall of Jericho when the walls came tumbling down, right? We have some of these uh, these accounts and these events and even some of the hymns and the songs that we sing. But their overall knowledge and literacy of the Old Testament is more limited than what, the, what it is of the New. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons that this occurs. Uh, the first reason that I would point to is that's for, to be, if I were just to be blunt about it, is that there's some resistance that I find among people for studying and reading the Old Testament. Uh, they may tell me things like uh, they find it boring, that it's hard to keep their mind uh, tuned in to the, you know, some of the words that they're reading, like in Leviticus and stuff like that. Uh, they may not even know where to start. Do I just start from the beginning, from Genesis, and read all the way through to Malachi, or should I follow some sort of a reading plan? Uh, other people even tell me that it's in, they find it intimidating, uh, that they, they've tried to start reading it, but they just don't understand some of the stuff that's in it, and why does it matter to me? So if you have thought of any of these things or feel any of these ways, uh, just know that that's normal. There are, there are a lot of people who feel that way whenever they think about the Old Testament. So that's one of the one of the reasons that I think um, our knowledge of it is is not quite as strong as perhaps the other half of the Bible. Another reason, though, has to do with the way that we're taught, especially in the American church. Um, I actually had a friend send me a video a few weeks ago. It was a, a YouTube video of another uh, uh, of a pastor out there that was giving a sermon and. This pastor is a, a known name. He's not a uh, uncommon pastor, if you will. There are a lot of lot of people that are aware of who this pastor is. And in this particular um, 
a sermon that he was giving Rahab was uh, one of the, uh, the the main topics, the main subjects of his of his of his sermon that Sunday. Uh, he was talking about Rahab, and and she is a um, a prostitute that we find in the Old Testament. She was uh, uh, from the city of Jericho. She was there when the two spies came, and she's the person who hid them away. If we remember that story, that uh, when they were spying out the land before the before Jericho fell, she hid the spies away and kept them safe. Now, speaking about Rahab, here's what he had to say to her or say about her. He said, I probably would not preach about a prostitute if she were only mentioned in Joshua chapter two, because I would figure, well, that's the Old Testament. Now, that's an interesting statement. I find that a very curious statement for a pastor to make that uh, what, what difference does it make if she's only mentioned in the Old Testament? or if anybody was only mentioned in the Old Testament. He goes on to say that the only reason he's talking about her is because some of the New Testament writers do talk about her. They do mention her, like in Jesus' genealogy. And uh, I think Peter, I think Second Peter maybe be another place where Rahab is referenced. But what real difference does it actually make whether all of the events that happen in the Old Testament are mentioned in the New or not? Does that change the relevance that those words have for us as modern-day questions? So I find that a little bit of a curious statement, but I think that it uh, it outlines well the, the second reason that some of our knowledge is lower than it is for the New Testament, and it's simply because we're not taught it. Uh, it's not a topic of uh, of sermons and conversations and Bible teachings and Sunday schools, you know, wherever it is that we uh, we get our, our 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 information, our spiritual training. Most of the time, it would seem that the material focuses on the New Testament, and because of that. We don't have the same understanding. We don't have the same appreciation. Uh, we can't make the same application of the Old Testament that we can the New. And so because of this, this is began to, beginning to impact kind of how we see the Bible as a whole and how we understand how all these narratives go together because we're not aware of many of the details and as many of the stories in the Old Testament that we are in the New. Now, to kind of make the point why I think that's important, let me, let me kind of illustrate it this way. Uh, I'm, I'm rounding here. I haven't sat down and figured it out in exact years or anything like that. But to, to, to make the math simple, to kind of make the conversation simple, here's what I'll say. If you think about the Gospels, if you think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the narratives that we read in the Gospels, they start a little bit before Jesus' birth, and they go to a little bit after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. Let's say that the Gospels cover a period of time of about 35 years. Uh, that's uh, That's kind of the time frame that's covered. If you expand that to the entire New Testament, so if you say Matthew through Revelation, again, I'm kind of rounding, um, and, and to make the, the conversation easy, let's say that the entire New Testament covers a period of about 100 years. In that time frame, I admit for any, um, you know, any other seminary uh, graduates or students out there or people who have a more technical understanding of the Bible, even that's up for debate a little bit because there is some... Um, uh, some scholarly debate going on as to when exactly was Revelation written and things like that. But let's just say, again, to make the conversation easy, around 100 years. So all together, all in on the New Testament, 100 years worth of Bible history, 100 years worth of narrative. But now think about the entire biblical story. Think about from Genesis to Revelation. How many years does that cover? Between four and 6,000 years. So think about that for a moment. If you only know the New Testament, if your biblical literacy is only about uh, Matthew through Revelation, that means that you know about 
of the entire Bible story. And that's where I get the title from, the 2%. Uh, I would say a lot of people that uh, that we talk to, uh, a lot of people inside uh, the North American church, they're very familiar with what happens in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all of these books that we consider on a frequent basis. But that's only 2% of the story. Think about the other 98 that we may not be familiar with. Do you think that there's any details in there that we could have missed? Do you think that there's any important information in there that could illuminate how we see our faith? Do you think there's anything in the Old Testament that could clarify some of the beliefs that we get from the new? Do you think it's even possible that maybe we're misunderstanding something and that information from the Old Testament could help us set right some of the beliefs that we have that may not be exactly accurate or true. There's a lot of information in 98% um, that uh, isn't considered as frequently as, as the information, as the details and the narratives that we consider in the New Testament. I'd like to show this to you one more way. I'd like to give you a visual representation, if, if you will, to kind of make the point. If you notice this slide that I have up on my screen, <clears throat> I got this from an application that I use to do language research and stuff like that. Um, if you notice all of the blocks in orange, those are all of the New Testament writings. So that's uh, Matthew through Revelation. All the blocks in blue, those are the Old Testament writings. So that's Genesis through Malachi. Now, here's the really important part or the really, or the really kind of cool part, I think. All those lines and those colors that you see going from the orange books to the blue books, those are all the connections between the Old Testament and the New. Each of those lines represents some time that a New Testament writer quotes the Old Testament or refers to it or alludes to it or some sort of way in which a New Testament writing pairs back to something that we find in the Old. And look at all of those lines. Look at all of those connections between those books. Uh, the Bible truly is a, it's a symphony. Uh, there's a symphonic harmony that exists between the book cover to cover, and you can't understand that, th that, that harmony, or, or you won't understand it as well, at least, without knowing some of the detail, knowing the context that's contained in the Old Testament. So this kind of gives us a good visual representation of why I say that the Old Testament is just as important to us as the New. Uh, but we're going to show you that. We're actually going to do some exercises that uh, make it really evident as to why I say that's the case. Through the course of this series, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to look at details. Or so we're not actually just going to read accounts. We're not going to gloss over them like we do sometimes. We're actually going to pay attention to the words that are being spoken, to the words that are written. We're going to pay attention to the specific words that the Bible writer used and see if those details Help us understand better what exactly is the point of any given biblical narrative. What lesson should I be getting from it? Uh, the other thing that we're going to do is through the course of this, we're going to read four New Testament accounts, and we're going to compare them to four Old Testament accounts. What we're going to find is that there are mirror accounts, if I want to call it that, or sister accounts. Uh, we're going to read some very popular ones from the New Testament that we've probably read many, many times. But what we'll see is that back in the Old Testament writings, there is an account that goes along with it. And there's a reason that is the case. There's a, there's a, there's a lesson behind the fact that there are these corresponding mirror accounts between the two sides of the Bible. And we're going to look at those and we're going to try to understand what those are. So in episodes three through six, we're going to consider these four accounts and they're going to give us apologetical tools, ways in which we can defend our faith better. Ways in which we can prove statements like, why do we believe that Jesus is the Christ? 
I will show you how the Bible kind of defends itself on that matter, how it shows you if we just pay attention to the details and to the context as to why we say that that uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, we're also going to take a look at the kingdom of heaven using some Old Testament writings in Daniel and comparing them to New Testament things that Jesus said in the Gospels. I'm going to give you a point of view of uh, the kingdom of heaven and help us understand that we should be seeing the kingdom of heaven as one of dominion, not one of defeat. And you may be kind of scratching your head at the moment as to what I mean by that, but um, we'll get into that into one of the upcoming episodes. But for now, I would just say this, that I think a lot of the North American church has started operating from a place of defeat, uh, from a point of view that the the world is on fire, that it's uh, it's going, going to get nothing but worse and that there's no positive impact that Christians can have upon it. We've, we begin coming at the world around us from a place of defeat. That is not the story of the Bible. It is a story of dominion, and we'll show that as we compare the Old Testament to the New. Up to this point in the conversation, we haven't really considered much scripture. We haven't talked too much from the Bible. How about if I give us an illustration to kind of close out this conversation? What do I mean by details? What kind of details are we talking about? And, and what do I mean by uh, knowing the story of the Old Testament is important to helping us understand what a New Testament writer is talking about? Let's use the Gospel of John. Uh, John's Gospel is my favorite one personally. I'm, all of them are powerful and great, but I like John's gospel because of the point of view that he tells his story from, the point of view, the perspective that he writes his gospel from. I like the deep theology that's included in the book of John as well. But um, well, let's notice something that he says, a detail that he shares in one of the verses that he writes. And as we read this verse, pay attention, actually engage with the words, pay attention specifically to what he's saying. And tell me, can you pick out the detail? What is it that you think is important in this verse? Uh, John chapter 18 and verse 1, notice what he says. So John writes, he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, so this is right after the Passover, this is right after he has uh, shared the bread and the wine, and they've left the upper room, Judas has left to betray him. Uh, John is picking up the story there. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine Kidron the Valley Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now, that's an interesting verse. You may look at that verse at first and state, well, that's kind of a basic verse. There's not really anything of substance in there. There's not really anything of importance in there. What detail could possibly be important to helping us understand John's gospel, to helping us understand what it is that John is trying to relay to us through this book that he has written? So as you look at it, is there a detail that stands out to you? What detail do you think it is that I'm referring to? Well, to kind of, um, uh, to give you a hint, uh, let's look at the other three Gospels. Let's look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's look at the same event and the way they tell the story. And let's notice the differences between the way the Gospel writers tell the story. So up on the screen right now, you can see the three corresponding verses, the way that the other Gospel writers have um uh, have have written this part of their story. Notice what he says in Matthew uh, 26. So this is what Matthew says. He says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. So what does it? what is it that Matthew says? How does he talk about this event? Well, he actually gives the place a name, a place that they go to. He calls it Gethsemane. Uh, Mark is very similar. Mark chapter 14, verse 32 
It says, they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. So again, we see that name Gethsemane showing up in Mark's account. Uh, Luke is even a little bit different, right? Uh, Luke kind of cracks me up sometimes. He writes it from a very uh, logical, analytical point of view, if you will. Luke chapter... um, um, Luke chapter 29, or 22, verse 39, it says, And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. So it tells us one place he goes. He goes out of Jerusalem over to the Mount of Olives. It says the disciples followed him. But notice this, verse 40. It says, When he arrived at the place. That's all Luke calls it. He doesn't give it a name. He doesn't give it a description. We know it's somewhere on the Mount of Olives. But beyond that, he just calls it the place. So, Matthew and Mark refer to it by name. They call it Gethsemane. Luke refers to it as the place. Let me bring back up on the screen for a moment John's uh, verse again. So again, back in John 18, 1, do you see the difference now? Do you see how John refers to it versus the other gospel writers? John is the only gospel writer who actually calls it a garden. He says he went forth with his disciples over the Valley Kidron, where there was a garden, and he entered it with his disciples. Now, that's an important detail. You may think that, what's the big deal about that? Why is the fact that he called it a garden an important detail when it comes to understanding John's gospel? Well, first, one thing I would like to point out is is in the way that we tend to study the Bible today as as modern-day Christians, we tend to come up with names and terms and stuff like that ourselves. We kind of take a a composite view of the Gospels. So we take Matthew's story, Mark's story, Luke's story, John's story, and sometimes we combine some of those details. So, for example, what that's resulted in is we today call it the Garden of Gethsemane. But if you notice, whenever we're reading this story about Passion Week and, and Jesus' betrayal and things like that, the Bible writers don't actually refer to it that way. That's something that we call it. And in the process of synthesizing those those words, of combining them together, we lose some of the details, some of the details that are kind of important to us, such as the fact that John is the only one that refers to it as a garden. Now, to help us understand why this is important, we have to kind of think about the perspective from which John writes his gospel. Uh, Think about the opening verses of what John says, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So think about those words for a moment. It tells us a lot about what's going on in John's mind, how he's telling the story, what the point of the story is to him, what he's focusing on. John is coming at the gospel story from the point of view of Jesus' true identity, of where he really came from. Uh, Who is this person that he's writing about and reading that we're reading about as his audience? Where did Jesus come from? How long had he been there? And more importantly, where is he returning to after he has accomplished his mission here on earth? John is pointing us all the way back to the beginning. He says, in the beginning, Jesus was there. When the story of creation began, Jesus was there. When Adam opened his eyes and drew his first breath, Jesus was there. And that's an important point for us to understand why the fact that he refers to it as a garden is included in his his gospel. Think about this for a moment. Where does the story begin? We've established the fact that Jesus was there when it began, but where does it begin? Does the story not begin in a garden? 
Is that not what Genesis tells us? Does it not say that God made the Adam, that he made the first man, and he placed him in a garden? Is where the story begins. But what happens in that garden? In that garden, in the Garden of Eden, the first man, Adam, he's presented with a choice. He's presented with a choice to either uh, stay true, to stay loyal to God's sovereignty, or to make his own choice, to make his own decisions, to do what it is that he wants to do. And it's in that garden that, as we know, Adam makes the wrong choice. And because of that choice, because of what Adam chose to do versus staying loyal to God, it has resulted in all the pain and the suffering and the sickness and the death and the war and all the negative things that the human family has experienced for the last several thousand years, all because of a choice that was presented to Adam in the garden. But think about this. Now, 4,000 or so years later, again, we find ourselves in a garden. Again, uh, the last man, Adam, as the Bible refers to Jesus and Paul's writing, the last man, Adam, he too um, is presented with a choice. The same individual that was present in the garden when Adam was, he was there when the serpent told Eve what he did. He was there when Adam made the choice to take a bite of the fruit that his wife offered him. Jesus is aware of all this. He saw all of this. He was there in the beginning with God. And now here he is 4,000 years later in a garden himself, and he too is faced with a choice. But what choice does he make? Well, notice some things that he says. Let's read some of Jesus' own words. Go to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, 39 in the garden of Gethsemane. He's over there praying. It says, and he went a little beyond them, a little past the disciples, and he fell on his face and prayed saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you see the choice that's implied in those words? Jesus is saying, if there is any other way, if there is some other way that we can accomplish this, if this does not have to happen, please, Father, let this cup pass from me. Uh, but what does he go on to say? What decision does he actually make? He says, yet, not as I will, but as you will. Do you see the exact opposite decision that he, the last man, makes compared to the first man, Adam? Adam chooses himself. Adam chooses to do what he wants to do, which has resulted in everything that we've experienced. But Jesus, in a garden, on a mountain, he makes a choice to stand by his father's sovereignty. He makes a choice to stick with the plan. Uh, to see through what it is that God has willed for him. And because of that, the story takes a turn. It started in a garden, and for the most part, it ends in a garden. Because of that decision that Jesus made, because of the loyalty, because of the faithfulness that he showed that a few hours later led to his crucifixion, each of us now can bask in the grace of the Lord. So the story began in a garden, and as we can see here, the story took a, a significant move forward. It ended in a garden for all intent and purposes because Jesus held true to the plan, because he stuck with the will that his father had given him, because he stayed loyal. He made a decision that has resulted in redemption, uh, that has resulted in uh, a return to God because of the choice that Jesus made. But we would kind of miss that 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 depth, that that that, that theological understanding that's kind of um, embedded in John's gospel if we didn't pay attention to that detail, if we didn't notice the distinction between the way that he tells the story compared to the other gospel writers, but also if we were unaware of that context from the Old Testament and why the fact that 
events happening in a garden are important to our understanding of his gospel. Now, I chose a little bit of an easy one. I, I think most people are aware of the Garden of Eden and that, you know, that story in the Old Testament, the story of creation and Adam and Eve and the fall and the fruit and the serpent and everything like that. So that's a little bit of an easy exercise, but hopefully, hopefully it illustrates well the point that we've tried to make in this introduction. The Old Testament gives us a lot of context, a lot of understanding uh, to events that uh, maybe we tend to take for granted in the New Testament. It is something that we should pay attention to and use as a lens as we're studying the New Testament writings to help us understand what the point of some of these narratives are. So John uses that basically. He he uses it to write his gospel and to tie the whole biblical narrative together. He ties the past with the present, what it is that Jesus was doing or did in his day, but also to the future <clears throat> as to why it's important, the decision that Jesus made in that garden and how it pertains back to the Old Testament. So in our next episode, we're going to take a deeper look at how the details of the narratives are important. Just as we saw with John, we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at a few more of those details. We're actually going to do an exercise in details uh, using several writings, several books from the Old Testament in episode two. In episode two, we're going to take a look at the direction east, like as in north, south, east, west. We're going to look at the direction east, why that's important in the Old Testament, and how it impacts our understanding of the New Testament. We're going to pay attention to those details and a few accounts and see how that direction plays a role in Scripture. What we'll see is that the detail of the direction east, it comes up a few times throughout accounts that we may read, and it's important to us understanding what's actually happening in these accounts. Thank you for watching this episode of The Two Testaments. My name is Ryan Goodnight, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.